WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. The partisan school board's bill dies. Toxic waste from the Ohio train derailment comes to Indiana, plus another go at the non-compliant prosecutor bill, and more. From the television studios at WFYI, it's Indiana Week in Review for the week ending March 3rd, 2023. Indiana Week in Review is made possible by the supporters of Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations. This week, legislation to allow local school board elections to become partisan died in the House. It's very unlikely the issue will be revived this year. The bill would have allowed ballot referendums prompted either by a local school board or by citizen petition that could have made school board elections partisan. On the deadline for House bills to clear that chamber, the measure wasn't called down for a vote. House Speaker Todd Houston says it was hard to find a sweet spot on the issue. You force people to go through primaries. Um, You know, is it just for the general election? You declare a potential party affiliation. House Democratic leader Phil Giaquina says there was clearly not enough support in the Republican caucus and none in his. Deep down, I think most legislators feel like um, this is one area that we just should not be uh, putting more politics into the system. A similar bill on the issue didn't get a committee vote and died in the Senate earlier this year. How hard is it to thread the needle on partisan school boards? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat, Ann Delaney. Republican, Allie Bartlett. John Schwannis, host of Indiana Lawmakers. And Nikki Kelly, editor-in-chief of the Indiana Capital Chronicle. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House Bureau Chief Brandon Smith. Ann Delaney, is it a matter of time before a bill like this gets passed? Oh, I hope not. I mean, I think it's a really bad idea. Um, we should keep politics out of school board elections as much as we can. And frankly, now if you have a right-wing crazy running, you already know they're probably a Republican, so uh, why do you need to self-identify? They know what they are. It's bad to take those kinds of social issues that a very vocal, very small minority are advocating and try to thrust them into school board elections. School boards are there to make sure that the the buses run, that the facilities are taken care of, that the curriculum is doing what it should do. And when you put the partisan politics in it, you're going to put those social issues that the right-wing Republican minority loves to scream about that really don't affect people. They don't. There aren't librarians out there pushing pornography. There aren't teachers out there urging kids to be transgender. It just isn't happening any more than their creative, whatever the heck it was, theory of what they were teaching. It's just, it is, it is the kind of straw man that they put up in order to win elections. And we ought to keep those straw men out of school board elections. But aren't partisan politics? Already in, I mean, look at the school board elections from last year. You had Todd Rokita endorsing people in local school board races. Are partisan politics already part of our school board elections? Yeah, so I think there are a lot of logistical problems with this concept. And I think that's what we heard from Speaker Houston. It's too complicated to take it up right now. However, do I think that this is the end of this issue? No, I don't. Because of what Ann just said, I think we agree. 
that these social issues don't belong in school boards, but they've injected themselves already. And I think that's why we're going to see this continue to come up because parents feel that they have lost control over what's happening in their schools. And while we continue to see that pattern, we're going to continue to see this come up. I want to ask about those logistical issues that Ali just mentioned and the speaker mentioned in his story. So in the bill as it, as it was before it died on the House floor, there were multiple ways for, partisan, or for school board races to become partisan. Either a school board could pass a resolution mm-hmm. or citizens could get enough signatures on a petition to take a public question to the voters on the ballot. And that could still be done in a couple of ways. Either we could make them go through partisan primaries in May, like every other elected official um, or most other elected officials, or we could just force all candidates to put party labels next to their names on the general election ballot and not have to go through primaries. Is that evidence of itself of why this bill is going to struggle to pass in the future? I left my legal pad with my, yeah. with my notes uh, uh, across the room here. Sure, it is complicated, and there's so many places for it to create headaches and create un- questions about unintended consequences. Well, what if this scenario that no one's thought of yet comes up? Then what do we do? But let's point out here that a couple of things. Generally, if we're to believe the data, Hoosiers are not dissatisfied with the curriculum in their schools. At 88%, uh, based on a recent Gallup survey that was done at the well, behest the of the uh, Department of Education, said that we're, we, we're, we're satisfied, we like it. And I think it was an even lower number, don't ask me now, it was single digits about people who felt they had specific problems about the kinds of things you're mentioning, critical race theory or, well, uh, or some smaller, sort of agenda-driven. It was a very small percentage of people who both knew what was going on right. in their school district and had That's a problem. Well, there was, a, there was the most interesting, as I pointed out before, were the people who had a hit problem about what was going on but admitted they didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So that, that's my favorite uh, group. Yeah. The other thing I would point out, stating the obvious, is there's nothing, and we've said this before, that prevents somebody from campaigning through from day one as a Republican or a Democrat or a member of the Whig Party. And there's nothing that prevents a direct mail, you know, we all get those things in our mailboxes before elections that said, here is our slate, here are the people, maybe they don't call it that, here's what we want. There's nothing that prevents a party from doing that. You could put a billboard, as long as it's whatever the number of feet from the, the ballot box, that says, screaming out in, in huge letters, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat. So, you know, and let's give, I hope we can give voters some credit to, to figure this out. I mean, and if they don't, shame on them. Uh, because, I, I, I mean, there is, there is some... Uh, some of the responsibility being a citizen of this country and a participant in democracy is to actually get off your butt and pay attention to who the candidates I, I are. I want to ask about that part of this. Um, and first I want to say, not enough people run uh, for the Whig Party anymore. I, that's but right. I want to ask about that part of this because it struck me, so much of the testimony we heard on these bills, one in the Senate and particularly the one in the House where there were a lot more people in support of it, This theme kept coming up over and over again, which is voters don't know anything about their local school board candidates. So we have to help them by putting these party labels on the ballot. Is that a good reason to do something like this? Yeah, I mean, I don't think so, but I'm not a policymaker. So, I mean, I think beyond the issue of, you know, the primaries or not is I I heard some people express concern about a system in which, you know, half the school boards in the state could be partisan and half could not, like some sort of consistency. And that's what we look for in state law is consistently and treating them 
separate or different depending on what each locality wanted. I mean, you could have people in the same city. Exactly. Some who vote right. for their, uh, you know, uh, also one of my favorite parts of how down. the bill that wasn't voted on was an acknowledgement that straight ticket voting is causing some issues because it would have specifically said you couldn't allow straight ticket voting to impact the school board races. You know, you, yeah. well, you, you know you've got the, that w when you're talking about all of those things, you're ignoring people that don't self-identify with either party. There are a substantial percentage of the voting population that think of themselves as independents. They'd be excluded from this. You could also suggest uh, that this is an insult to voters. When people say, you know, we have to do this so voters know what's going on, that, that really gives voters so little credit, and maybe that's what's deserved. I don't know. But I mean this notion that we can't make up our minds for ourselves, and we, if we're an R, we have to get our marching orders from this, this figure on high, or if I'm a Republican, I have to wait until the, the oracle tells me what to do. I mean, it's sort of this weird it's, dystopian, no. uh, wait, wait till you get your marching orders. You can't figure it out independently, which is sort of unsavory. If you wind up with a system that allows people to have an initiative and put a referendum on the ballot, you know, just think of what that's going to do on the abortion question. Well, that's, that's that was the other thing is we're not a referendum state. We've heard that over and over again, but this would have been a referendum state. But, uh, well, we'll see. I, I agree with you, Al. I think it's definitely coming back. It's just a matter of whether it can ever get over that hump. But... Toxic waste from the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment is coming to Rochdale, Indiana, and Governor Eric Holcomb doesn't like it. The Putnam County town of 1,000 people hosts a hazardous waste landfill that accepts waste from other states. The EPA chose the Rochdale site as a waste destination alongside three sites in Ohio. Putnam County Commissioner David Berry expects around 2,000 tons of butyl acrylate to arrive. He says shipments like this come to Rochdale all the time. The only thing that's different is the high-profile situation. I think the reason people are upset is the way the EPA handled it at the site. It's like people don't feel like they were responding quickly enough and more transparent. So now people are scared. Governor Holcomb says he learned of the EPA decision third-hand and says the materials should go to the nearest facilities, not moved from the far eastern side of Ohio to the far western side of Indiana. Allie, is the biggest problem here a lack of communication from the Biden administration? I would say yes. Um, you know, we've heard from um, several people within the Holcomb administration at this point that this isn't out of the ordinary necessarily to bring this type of toxic waste to Rochdale and that they are prepared to handle it. I also think the governor's response has been fantastic. There's, you know, a company that's going to be handling this that has years and years of experience. They're prepared for this type of thing. However, would it have been nice for the governor to receive a courtesy call from the administration? Absolutely, especially when something so high profile is about to hit our state. He was completely uh, unprepared for that, and, and our citizens are going to have questions because of what they've seen in the media. They want to be able to know from their governor and their leader that they are safe and that this isn't an ongoing problem. Um, I think it would have been a very nice courtesy of uh, Secretary Buttigieg to call the governor of his own home state. Um, not surprising at all that we didn't hear from him, but we didn't. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's a huge problem. I was struck by what the, the local county commissioner said, which is, hey, this happens literally all Everybody. the time. But this isn't every other situation. No. I mean, why did this have to come third hand to the governor of the state well, of Indiana? Well, a courtesy call would have been would have taken a lot of the wind out of their sails, no question about it. I mean, we have more fundamental problems about this, about why the train wreck occurred. And uh, as I understand it, that train went through Indiana, okay? And it went through Indiana, and we had... Uh,
Senator Braun in, in the uh, Senate when the Trump administration rolled back safety concerns for inspections, inspections of rails, and also to put the, the Obama rules on brakes, on flammable material being carried by trains. He didn't protest then, nor did he protest when he was in the state Senate, when the state Republicans, House. state House, excuse me, when the Republicans cut IDEM's hazardous waste enforcement by 76% over 10 years. There were no content, no problems with that. So I hope this newfound more than the sense of not being included and not being warned about this, but the newfound concerns about public safety on these issues correspond with budget allocations to let IDEM do the job that needs to be done. Uh, Ali kind of mentioned this, but Governor Holcomb, um, after I wrote this story for the show, announced that, that he's contracting with a third party to do some testing around the materials to make sure that they're safe within the confines of, of this uh, hazardous waste site. Will that help alleviate a lot of the concerns, certainly at least from the local community, do you I think? I think it will as long as all the reports are made publicly transparent. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that's probably a good move to... If I lived in Rochdale, I, I might be a little concerned, obviously. But I also kind of agree with the commissioner, which is, you know, these trucks are going into that place every week from all kinds of different states with very similar, if not worse, waste every day. And, you know, I've never heard any concerns about it until now. If the reports are made public and everything is on the level and this stuff gets moved in, is this story over pretty quickly? Um. Well, and first, I should say I should recuse myself because unlike maybe the rest of you, I've spent a significant amount of time in Rochdale and actually was a competitor in the Rochdale. They actually had roach races where painted roaches would run, and I finished third once, my roach. So um, Was that's, it a pet roach? No, you, you buy them at the event. Oh. It's a fundraiser. You know how these things go. No, uh, I actually I don't. Didn't <laughs> know how those there are, there are roach races. There were. I, I haven't been there lately. Okay, so here's the issue. This is, uh, it may go away, but this is, these issues, this is yet another example that no issue is new. You know, we had this issue come up when her boss, former boss Evan Pye was governor, when there was trash coming in from uh, New Jersey in that case. And he made a big stink about trying to keep trash out of our state. Well, guess what? It was litigated. And, and we can all stipulate, I guess, that uh, at least the courts at that point, and presumably now would say, well, there's that U.S. Constitution and the Commerce Clause that... That, that knocks down those barriers. So yeah, you can raise a stink for political purposes, uh, but it's not gonna do anything in the, in the end. Um, and the other thing, if Pete Buttigieg, he lives in Michigan now, so maybe if the trash had been <laughs> okay. bound for Michigan, he, he would have called. Well, he's right. not in charge of the EPA. But that's that's also me. true. <laughs> All, right. All right, time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question. And this week's question is, is the Biden administration wrong to move toxic waste from the Ohio train derailment to Indiana sites? A, yes, or B, no. Last week, we asked you whether a family of four earning $220,000 a year should be eligible for private school vouchers. Just 8% of you say no, 92%, or excuse me, 8% say yes, 92% of you say no. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. A bill that would allow the appointment of a special attorney if county prosecutors refuse to file charges for crimes is on its way to the House after Senate approval this week. The bill would establish a three-person prosecutor review board to investigate whether a prosecutor is non-compliant. To be considered non-compliant, the prosecutor would need to make a public statement that they will not prosecute certain crimes and show a pattern of not bringing charges in those cases. 
Non-compliant prosecutors would not face discipline, but a special prosecutor would be appointed to oversee that category of crimes. The bill's author, Republican Senator Aaron Freeman, said the legislation creates a calculated procedure for handling non-compliant prosecutors. So my hope is that no prosecutor can claim this is in any way unfair or unreasonable. Similar bills have been introduced in the past, but have failed. Nikki, Aaron Freeman has been trying this for years. Has he finally, finally found the sweet spot? I think maybe. I, I think this approach with a, a panel of prosecutors who are also a lo- locally elected and kind of having a say is a better Some political balance is a that, better that move yeah. than in the past. Overall, I'm waiting for a the you know I guess the non-compliant sheriff bill. I'd like to see that at some point. The non-compliant you know I, I don't know. Yeah. I just feel like in this case we literally had the prosecutors race last year on this issue. This was an issue. The actual local voters don't seem to care, but. You know, I guess we're going to fix care or it even anyway. Support the idea. Yeah. Uh, in terms of a, a lot of what's held this back in previous years, this has gotten through the Senate more than more than once before this year. Um, but a lot of what's held it back in the House is some ideological problems with it, but also the idea of the mechanics of it. Well, who's going to decide if a, com- a prosecutor is non-compliant, and then who's going to be appointed to to step in in that case? Is is figuring out the mechanics of this, because it seems like he's gotten closer than ever before. Is that what's going to get it over the... Well, it's closer, certainly. But it's still nuanced. I mean, when it, to your point, uh, it's still there are ways to, to dodge the bullet if you're a prosecutor who philosophically or for practical reasons doesn't want to do something. You just don't have to make pronouncements. You don't have to say right. that I'm going to ignore these on a wholesale basis. Right. You just... You know, I don't know. A I, problem I, with that I'm going to think about that. I'm going to twiddle my right. thumbs. So as a practical manner, it has really little impact. It's, this is, a gap, again, about symbolism and, and overarching politics. Um, and then the other thing that complicates it in terms of nuance is the debate is always about, uh, you know, the enforcement of uh, possession of certain amounts of, of marijuana. Of marijuana and, uh, but I mean... And abortion. Now. And abortion. But there are, you know, the other side of the question when there, there are prosecutors who think might hate crimes, for instance, is a violation of the First Amendment and think it's pandering to a sector of society that what's the term, uh, you know, they're uh, snowflakes, you know, they can't, they can't protect themselves, et cetera. This cuts a lot of different ways that people don't anticipate. And so you always, I'm a believer in the unintended consequences. Yet again, there will be unintended consequences. Kind of to the point John made, is this, if this bill gets passed and this goes into effect, is this ever really going to be used? I think that this actually is, has more to do with property crimes and crimes that we've seen in major cities across the United States. So we look at like San Francisco and Oregon, where we've had prosecutors come out and say, we're not going to waste our time on petty theft. We're not going to waste our time on vehicle theft. And now we've seen those crime rates spike. And I think part of that threshold where we're talking about a prosecutor has to be making public statements in order for this to apply, I think that's what this is targeting, is people coming out and saying, I'm not going to waste my time on this. I'm not going to waste my time on that. And then it opens the door for criminals to go out and say, well, hey, our prosecutor said he's not going to prosecute us for this. We're going to have a heyday at CVS every week. That was brought up in, 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 the, in the testimony uh, or in the, the comments on the Senate floor. But I want to ask about this part of it, which is Mike Young says otherwise. Senator Mike Young says otherwise, that it wasn't aimed at, at the prosecutor in Marion County. But more, <laughs> more recently, it certainly seems like Did it was aimed at... Did he have his fingers at, crossed yeah, while More recently, it? it seems like it was aimed at the prosecutor in Marion County, Ryan Mears, who overwhelmingly won his election last year. 
has Ryan Mears created more problems for himself than he needed to Absolutely. by saying these things out loud? Yes. Well, you know, you could you could obviously make that argument, but but this was going to go after him anyway. I mean, they want to go after him. They don't like the fact that he's a Democrat and that he got overwhelmingly elected, even though they put a huge amount mm. of money into the campaign for his opponent. I mean, this issue has been decided by the voters of Marion County, and it gets decided every four years. And it doesn't need another bad idea from Aaron Freeman, which of which he has many. Um, come into and try to undo the fact that Marion County is now Democratic, which is the fact that he doesn't like. Realistically, though, even if this bill goes into effect, do you think Ryan Mears is affected by this? Like, do you think he will be found to be non-compliant? I think it's a possibility. Might, the way it's yeah. read since he's made this yeah. public statement. So not only did he make it on the marijuana, he clearly didn't learn his lesson nope. because they've been trying to too. get at it for years. I mean, all and we then he comes I mean, out with the at abortion the same time, All he would have to do is prosecute one marijuana possession case. And, and the, then the you argument's gone. I, I mean, I would and think then he lies the bill, to the public. And, and then we have an equal privileges But if he's found on the plan, that might be a great boost to his future campaign. Exactly. Because, I mean, you know, again, maybe he should run for attorney general. More unintended consequences. Or maybe people say, good, that's why to, we want somebody like that. Or maybe he keeps winning on straight ticket voting. <laughs> <laughs> Legislation headed to the House aims to overhaul the quality of care that local health departments provide to Hoosiers. The bill's author calls it a paradigm shift for public health in Indiana. Republican Senator Ed Charbonneau says his bill is about addressing the infrastructure of public health, which has long been underserved. We don't build a road system and then neglect it. We don't build schools and not staff them. The same is true for public health. Under the bill, local health departments can apply to the state for significantly increased funding, but to get it, they must provide about two dozen core services, a list of which is included in the bill. Democratic Senator Shelley Yoder notes the funding isn't in the measure. That will be decided in the state budget. And we're going to need to make sure that we, we do fund Senate Bill 4 so that counties that choose to participate in this can apply and do the work that is much needed throughout Indiana. The bill passed the Senate 41 to 7. John Schwannis, are you surprised at all at the relatively easy path that the bill has taken through the legislature so far? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it, it had to, uh, it, something had to happen. The system was untenable. We saw that in, during COVID, the pandemic. Right now you have a system where, of our counties, some health departments expend uh, $88, I think might be the top, Marion County, uh, per capita uh, for their services and so forth. There are counties with less than a dollar per capita. Yeah. When you're looking at an $80 spread, yeah. and we always say you shouldn't, your, your well-being shouldn't depend you know, on, in the like education really, really. context on, on your, your zip, zip code. code yeah. This certainly does depend on your zip code. So from that standpoint, and there's a lack of critical care for, for level one trauma centers. That, I mean, that's, we'll, we'll agree on that. So it needed to happen. But we also saw, you know, this, I've called Eric Holcomb the long, suffering the uh, long, he's a COVID long hauler, not in the physical sense, but in the political sense, yeah. because he still bears the scars of, of perceived, perceived overreach of his administration to, to combat the plague. To the, that, the to plague, that point, the, the, uh, there pandemic. was an amendment on the Senate floor that put even more explicit language into the bill that says the state cannot take over local health departments if they get this money. Is that sort of thing part of why only seven no votes between two committees on the floor, only seven no votes, and no one, no lawmaker, spoke on the floor against it? Is that part of what's helping that? Probably. I mean, most of this is local decisions. Do they want more money to help their 
you know, citizens. And if they do take some money, there are some sort of basic guardrails that they have to follow. They have to make sure they're, you know, helping with certain, you know, topics and, and services. But so as long as it's local control, which is what they say, they don't want the state to make the decision. I don't, I don't see any real big hubbub and push against it. Let's talk about the funding aspect of it. The funding's not in the bill. The funding will be in the budget. Uh, the governor, the original health commission ask was $220 million a year. Then the governor came back after lawmakers went, whoa, and he brought it down to um, half of that in the first year almost, and then closer to that in the second year, with the idea that eventually, as hopefully more in all counties do this, there will be more money needed. House Republicans didn't even fund it at that level. It was about half of that original, or what the governor's asking for. Is that going to be the real debate in the second half of session? Oh, I think it's going to be a significant part of the debate in the second half of session. You had, you know, former Senator Luke Kennelly spend a huge amount of time and effort defining what's needed. And, I mean, he's a Republican and I think a fiscal conservative. And he said, we need to make these expenditures. We have the resources to do it. This is the time. How much is that argument going to work in the second? I mean, this probably won't be decided until the end of April, but... Will there be a significant amount of funding in that final budget? I think this definitely is not going to be decided until the end of April. Um, and I think you're right. It's all going to come down to the dollars and cents argument. I, significant, yes. Is it going to be what the governor and the health commission asked for at the outset? Probably not. I mean, nothing ever is by the end of April. Um, so I think significant, yes. The full amount, probably not. Yeah, well, we'll see what that final amount is. I'm, I'm re I have no sense of what the Senate Republican budget is going to be this session, unlike a bunch of different issues. So really curious to see that in a few weeks. All right, that's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat and Delaney, Republican Nally Bartlett, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and Nikki Kelly of the Indiana Capital Chronicle. You can find Indiana Week in Review's podcast and episodes at wfyi.org slash iwir or on the PBS video app I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time, because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. expressed are solely those of the panelists. Indiana Week in Review is a WFYI production in association with Indiana's public broadcasting stations.